0: The greatest invention, of course, home-delivered pizza. That's a changed my life. So we are so much involved in a time of great change. 20th century, it's finally a century you can relate with and do fact checks on what I'm saying up front. But it was, as Dickens said, the best of times, it was the worst of times. The best of times, if you lived in 1900, if you were born then, the odds are you would live in the world to be 45. If you were born in the year 2000, this is worldwide, not the U.S., you'll live to be 67. If you were born in 1900, the wealth that you would quadruple, 400% more in the world, not just the U.S., compared to 2000. In 1900, 82% of the countries of the world were under a monarchy or a dictatorship. In 2000, the majority of countries live under some form of democracy. In 1900, if you came to worship, you rode your horse. This morning, you came here with your GPS Lexus, with your iPod playing. (laughs) Things have changed. It was also the worst of times. More people died in war in in the 1900s and, excuse me, the 20th century than compared to the previous 19 centuries combined. It was a time of incredible poverty, a time of incredible despair. It was also a time of when the church, ironically, grew more in the 20th century than the previous 500 years combined. And as we come to this, I want us to take a look at three of the dominant thinkers at the time of the greatest intellectual attack on the Bible and upon the church of any time. Brilliant men who made wild conclusions. Darwin, Marx, and Freud. I call them the unholy trinity. Great men in a lot of ways, brilliant in a lot of ways. But yet they come to these wild conclusions. Someone asked me a little bit ago, uh, how long does it take to prepare a sermon? I think they were asking, do I prepare? I don't know, but it's... It's usually about 10 hours. This last week, I spent well over 20 hours in research. There's a lot on the editor's floor. And I was thinking, how do I tell you in 25 minutes what took me 25 hours? And anytime I'm stumped with the big issues, the making it simple, I go to the bench and I ask our theologians, watch what our drama team says. Watch this. And now it's time for another episode of Sing Along with Sigmund, Carl, and Charles. I am the very model over model intellectual, discussing matters of import, of which I am effectual, replacing truth-of-theorems loosey-goosey and conceptual. Shading facts and figures is a habit that's habitual. I'm very well acquainted, too, with matters Ecumenical. The doctrine of my faith, it is more simple and heretical. God is dead, and I am not, despite the pleasome Christian pews. I cannot wait to make debate exposing all simplistic views. I cannot wait to make debate exposing all simplistic views. I cannot wait to make debate exposing all simplistic views. I cannot wait to make debate exposing all simplistic views. views. Theology and science had evolved into a sinking rut. I postulated theory that we all evolved from monkeys, but discussing matters of import of which I am effectual. I am the very model of a modern intellectual. Discussing matters of import of which I am effectual. I am the very model of a modern intellectual. I know the workers' history and will fight against democracy The opiate of the masses is a mass of sheer hypocrisy Emerging from dictatorship of the proletariat Rest assured the change is here on that, I'll let my hat The struggle of the classes bring out fascists and the feudalists My manifesto clarifies, but just in case, here is the gist The bourgeois will succumb to and succumb to all against the fist (gasps) The Bolsheviks will reign and they'll make everyone a communist The Bolsheviks will reign and they'll make everyone a communist The Bolsheviks will reign and they'll make everyone a communist The Bolsheviks will will reign theory comes from endless out of self-indulgent therapy, a science based on dreams and sex experimented clinically, discussing matters of importance, of which I am effectual, I am the very model of a modern intellectual. Discussing matters of import of which I am effectual, I am the very model of a modern intellectual. Scripture claims there is a way known to all humans in their heart. Belief in such dogmatic faith puts every horse before the cart. What you see is all there is, and all there is is nothing more, regardless how loud Jesus knocks when outside standing at the door. We use threats and condescension to cut opposition down to size. Refocus all their fitting points, and when in death we'll be alive. Hyperbolize and lies, and on their major weakness hone. A baba let's put mercy shown reject the major cornerstone! Of the woman's from mercy, show reject the major cornerstone of the moments of mercy show reject the major to the cornerstone! Replacing truth with theorems, loosey, goosey and conceptual, shading facts and figures, is a habit that's habitual! Discussing matters of import of which I am effectual, I am the very model of a modern intellectual! Discussing matters of import of which I am effectual, I am the very model of a modern intellectual <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> I don't know if you noticed the uh, monkeys with the slip. That was a Freudian slip uh, that they put in uh, for us there. But. If we can learn anything from the 20th century, we can learn one thing. The more humankind cuts us off from the constraints of God, the more it imprisons and enslaves itself in a prison of despair. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus does not defend himself Jesus does not defend the Father. He knows what is going on. He is the way. We need to have right living. He is the truth. We need to have good thinking in a world that's crazy, and we need to have the life. Before we come to this communion table together as Christians, the gospel is not good advice, as they say, how to live life. It is good news. God has done for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. And you and I are on the very front line of the culture war. What goes on in this city not only affects this nation, it affects the world. And if you and I are going to make this the greatest city for Christ, we need to honestly respect people and understand, but know the background radiation that came from the 20th century. Well, first of all, how do you live a life in the midst of an age, a century of war? If you have a Bible, turn with me back over to this passage with Nicodemus in the third chapter on page 864, and Nicodemus is a brilliant man, and he comes to Jesus and says, you, Rabbi, we know you're from God because nobody could do the stuff you're doing, and he says, you've got to be born again, and Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? And he says, very truly, verse 11, we speak to you of what we know and testify what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. Pause. It's not an intellectual problem here. It's a problem of the heart. Now, there are intellectual issues, which we'll see. If I've told you about earthly, you do believe, how can I tell you about heaven? No one has descended, but he who, no one, excuse me, has ascended, but he who descended the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying is no one has ever chinned themselves up to God by intellectual prowess, whether we're sitting in here or sitting downtown at the bridge. God has sh- stepped out of the darkness into the light of this world in the person and work of Christ. Now, there's evidence of God all around. There's no doubt about it. But he didn't wait for us to connect the dots. He came and showed us. Once again, I want to show you, if you're visiting, we showed this, uh, actually, when we started this series 300 years ago. But as we, the history of religion in the world, the map. Now, the oldest religion, Hinduism, there is no, it's really more of a philosophy. There's no origin to it. But Krishna over in India, probably around 3,000 B.C., as it continues to grow. Of course, the beginning then of Abraham, 2,000. And the Abrahamic face which will come out of that is Judaism is they're going to the promised lands. it continues to grow as it moves along. Of course, they go to Egypt and come back up. And then, of course, Jerusalem is sacked afterwards. And you come to the birth of Buddha, probably about 400 B.C. or so. And he is a person. He's a Hindu. And as it spreads around, Christ is crucified in 32, of course. And as he is raised from the dead, it continues to spread. The blue are the good guys. These are the Christians. <laughs> and as it continues to spread around the Mediterranean world, Is Rome Christianized or is Christianity Romanized? And the answer is yes. As it goes ahead, Muhammad's born about 570, and Islam, one of the fastest growing religions, spreads around. Converted dies are very much more effective than the four spiritual laws. And as Islam continues to move around, Christianity responds back, and as it grows, Buddhism, of course, in the east. Now as the Crusades take place, as you notice, Islam right now is shrinking. It's not the fastest growing, it is by children but not by conversion. Is why many of the militants are so freaking out. And then as it, Christianity continues to grow, of course, coming over to North America with the start of the colonies. And as, as America grows, Christianity grows. And in the last years, Christianity just explodes around the world and it continues. As you and I sit here, if Christ return, does not return before 2100, Africa will be a dominant Christian nation. The more Christians probably in the next 100 years, no doubt, in China than the United States, as well as in India. It is just exploding, and we'll take a look at that next century. But it's also this 20th century was a time of war. Jace, uh, G. C. Cohn in Dictionary of Wars said that in the last 3,200 years, there have been 3,010 recorded major wars. Among that, 133 million people died up to the year 1900, 133 million. In the 20th century, conservatively, 169, perhaps as many as 200 million people died from warfare and the effect of it. In World War I, in the year 1900, science was exploding. Human intellect was going to resolve all the world's problems. There was going to be peace, and World War I breaks out. 15 million people will die in this conflict and all of a sudden Europe goes into a crisis. And now there's these despairing philosophies, existentialism. It's all an illusion. Science is a lie and religion is a lie. All you can do is, is the empiricist is what you see. And in the middle of the shock of this war, things continue to fall apart. Lenin will say that the revolution must be helped and as well as in Stalin and 11 to 30 million people will be killed and starved to death so communism can take over the Soviet Union. All of a sudden, things are going along, and a gentleman by the name of Adolf Hitler writes Mein Kampf. And he begins in the Nazis come to power in Germany. And some people would say that World War I and II was one war with a long break in between. And all of a sudden, that now 60 million people will die in World War II. Mao, afterwards, after World War II coming 40 million people in China will be killed in the relocation things that take place. All of a sudden, things are becoming horrific in the world, and now there's this despair taking place. And out of this, in the midst of this, interestingly enough, in 1948 was the birth of Israel. Israel did not exist from 145 A.D. when the Romans destroyed them and took them out until 1948. I can remember reading one of my great uncle's sermons that he wrote back in the mid-1930s about how Israel was just symbolic. There would never be another nation of Israel. And in 1948, surprise, the United Nations declares Israel. Now in the midst of what was the church doing in this war-filled century? They were very much involved in carrying in peace. I don't know if you know that. Many people don't realize the League of Nations, which Woodrow Wilson kicked off, was started the idea by clergy from Europe and America saying, we can't do war anymore. The compassion that was given. Karl Barth and many of those, Bonhoeffer, who stood against Nazi Germany and tried to protect and save the Jews from the insanity of the Holocaust. The compassion ministries in the 20th century, the church, and I mean universal here, gave more money to relief and caring for people than secular governments in the entire century. God's people were giving all of the time. And in the midst of this, we find out that the way that you live in a war-filled century and where conflict's going on right now is to wage peace. Yes, protect and care for people, but in the aftermath of all of this, what happened were the despairing philosophies of Nietzsche and others. So not only how do you live in a century of war... You care for each other. But what about truth in a century of atheism? Sunday school teacher asked the Sunday school class, boys and girls, what's faith? And Johnny shot up his hand and says, I know, I know, I know, ask me, ask me. And she said, okay, Johnny, what's faith? And he said, faith is believing something you know is not true. (laughs) And that is exactly what the world thinks about you and me this morning. There have uh, always been uh, atheists, but the new atheists, and someone gave me a a great book, I recommend, John Hott, God and the New Atheism, which uh, he's a a Jesuit uh, scholar from Georgetown and writing about it. Richard Dawkins in The God Illusion, Samuel Harris, The End of Faith, Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason, and Christopher Hitch's God is not great, how religions poison everything. Listen to one of these quotes, and these are all bestsellers. Quote, the God of the Bible is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochist, capriciously malevolent bully in the sky. Unquote. Other than that, he's high on the idea of God. The venom that is coming out in the new atheism is saying that you are the problem. If you got rid of religion, all religion, then we could naturally evolve into the utopian society. Religion is the cause of all problems in the world. Where did they get these ideas? Well, one of the people that helped kick it off for them was Charles Darwin. Now, Darwin, of course, lived in the 19th century, 1808 to 1882, a brilliant man who was uh, enrolled in Christ College at Oxford, maybe thinking of the clergy. He got into science and he went in 1831. The HMS Beagle did a five year sail around the world and changed the world. He was a prolific writer. You've probably heard of two of his books The Origin of Species, of course, in 1859, as well as The Scent of Man in 1871. He was not the first person to come up with the idea of evolution, but he was the first one to really synthesize it and make it popular with his discoveries. Great uh, biologist and a geologist. Most people didn't know that about Darwin. His evolutionary theory is not that individuals, animals evolve, but that gene pools do. It's not that one fish decides to get legs, but there's a propensity towards that in the ones that survive, natural selection. The idea of a creator to Darwin was detestable. Even though he was raised in the church. Because why would the creator let the biological world go through the struggle that it does? Why the waste? Why the pain? Why the brutality of nature? You know, everybody, you know, it's much different than an understanding of the good, of goddess, of mother nature. Mother nature would have made Darwin go nuts. It is unfeeling laws. And the random selection means the survival of the fittest, adaption. There is no need for a creator in all this anymore. I pause a little. Bit. I happen to believe that Charles Darwin was brilliant, if not born on the genius in some things. I totally believe in what he describes as the mechanisms of evolution. That I believe that of course there's natural selection going on, and there's a very complex world, and God is very elastic. I myself am not a six-day creationist. We have, I'm talking with some after the last service, who are, and I honor that. If God made the world in six days, I'm not going to leave heaven. You know, I mean, it's like, cool. But it doesn't look like God did that. What I am not is a deist. And a deist is that God pole started this thing and it just evolved on its own. In fact, the more you study evolution, and I had some classes, certainly in physical anthropology and the intermediate species Ramapithecine, Australia, Pithecus. I wanted to name our kids that, but Carolyn didn't. But, of course, as you, as you study and look at these, well, something is going on here, no doubt. But it's not random. In fact, mutation is rarely to the positive. It's to the destructive. I'm impressed, if that's how God did it, how patient and sustaining the creator is every step along the way. In fact, as you take a look, now, you can choose to believe that random mutation And the selecting process, which is unfeeling or unthinking, and the great savior to macroevolution is time. Given enough time, anything can happen. It's mathematically possible that you could set a chimp at a keyboard and it could accidentally type out the complete works of Shakespeare without any error. It's mathematically possible. It's mathematically possible that a... Tornado could come through here, suck this thing up, rearrange the electrical wiring, everything, and put together a flyable 747. It is. I don't have that kind of faith. To me, it is much less faith to look at the creator and what he has done. And I'm not talking about science. I'm talking about scienceism, Natural religion of the day. That it all just evolved on its own. Well, not only did Darwin take a big impact, and you go home today, and you turn on the TV, and you Google up your news, these philosophies are behind all of them. Gentlemen, gentleman by the name of Karl Marx. Marx, likewise, uh, born to Jewish parents. His father converted to Christianity, probably more out to get away from the horrible persecution going on in 19th century uh, Germany at this time in the lower Rhine area. He was, he noticed he saw, and as he wrote in the Communist Manifesto, quote, the first line: the history of mankind hitherto is the history of class struggles, unquote. As you look around, what everybody fights about is wealth. And if we didn't have a classes, it's not fair that people make money off of you. You should be entitled, the worker should have right, the means of production, and the, have the fruit of doing all the hard work. And he said, if we did away with all classes, Marx was a great student of Hegel. Hegelian philosophy is there's thesis, antithesis the opposite, and synthesis. Hegel was a monster of a philosopher in this way. The bourgeois oppressing the proletariat, the poor, and someday they'll come together and they'll be a classless society. He was a, a great atheist. In fact, he said, and he had gone, obviously, to the synagogue, and he watched what the church did in London as well as in Germany, And he said, it is the opiate of the masses, that you people are snorting coke, that right now, I'm up here telling you, you just endure like good boys and girls, and you'll get heaven by and by, and the church used it to oppress people. He never bothered to ask whether it was accurate or not, the teachings of the Bible. He just saw the effect it had on people. He said, philosophers, quote, interpret the world, but the point is to change it, unquote. Lenin would come along, and the revolution didn't take place, and Lenin would say in the Soviet Union with the Bolshevik Revolution, we must help the revolution coming along. And so the idea, you don't need a creator because of Darwin. You don't need a savior. The state will save you. And the idea that you as an individual have any worth only as you find it in the collective good. And right now we should all come up here and put all of our money here and divide it up evenly. In fact, let's do that some Sunday. Wouldn't that be fun? Go to the nine o'clock service, by the way, as we're going along. <laughs> Another part of the unholy trinity, not just Karl Marx, was Sigmund Freud. 1856, he died in 1939 as right after he fled from Hitler. He was, of course, in uh, Vienna. Freud was, again, a brilliant mind. Uh, he borders on genius that came up with some wacky conclusions. Freud really, he's not the first person to speak of the subconscious, but he really delved into it. He was really into dreams. As you dream tonight, you're interpreting your life. And he said all of life came down to three urges. And it was as as a toddler, as an infant. If you didn't fulfill these desires, then you become fixated there and you repress it. And the rest of your life, you try to. The first stage is the anal stage. And children love to mess their diapers, and for Freud, when parents say, no, don't do that, then you, you're bothered. In fact, he says, if you're constipated, it's because you're stingy. I didn't make that up. The next stage, of course, is the oral stage. And the children have this natural, they love oral gratification, for he would smoke cigars, he'll die from it. And he says it's because he wasn't breastfed long enough. And the final stage is uh, genital. Everybody and sex is the driving force for Freud. He borrows some of the new stuff of Darwin about the purpose is just to keep the gene pool going. But in all the people he was counseling in Vienna, and what a list of, what's the technical term, nutcases he was dealing with, <laughs> that everything about them was sexual driven. And he says, your whole life is all about sex. Freud will live his life, of course, in trying to do many things. He'll have a falling out with his disciple Carl Jung and But he'll have a huge impact on academia today and this whole idea of psychotherapy. Now, as I said, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology, and I bend my knee before Freud and some of the others and some of the brilliant insight they had. But the conclusions they make step way out of their bounds. He will flee from Austria. He gets mouth cancer, and he tries to perform surgery on himself multiple times. It's just horrible pictures of this. So he finally has his friend, Max Schur, who's a doctor, euthanize him. Overdose him on morphine to kill him because he's in such pain, and that's how Freud dies. These three men, there's no need for a creator with Darwin. There's certainly no need for a savior with Mark, and there's no need for a healer in Freud. We just get you through psychotherapy to realize your needs, and you'll have self-actualization. You'll be happy. Now, where they step way out of line is when they start taking on the faith because they step out of their area. I can remember one time we were having a discussion at a college, and I was being a pastor there, and there was a molecular biologist talking about the question about gene engineering. This was some time ago, and whether if it ever became possible like it is today. And we were talking about valence shells and molecules, and I was just kind of glazing over when he was. And, and then he said something, and all the, you know, the students are listening. He goes, you know, besides, we know the Bible. The oldest documents of the Bible are from the 8th century. And I went, excuse me? We have documents going back to the first century. We have over 10,000 documents, Greek documents of the New Testament manuscript from the second century. I mean, he was brilliant in his one area, but the moment he steps out, but everybody just gives him a pass because he's a microbiologist, even though he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, some of these people are brilliant, but the atheism of today, if you want a good atheist, Nietzsche, he's your man, or Karl Marx, their arguments for atheism, Dawkins and these guys, the stupidity of their argument, not them, I'm not saying that, but they set up a straw deck, they they get the most radical Christian fundamentalists, set them up and tear them down, and saying that it's nonsense. When you interact with the world, you're not going to convince them out of just brilliance. It's an issue of the heart. But good thinking needs to exist to answer bad thinking. And as God uses us in stepping out there in this way, we're bringing the good news of Christ. Well, what about this whole idea about the Bible being wrong? I totally, as I said, I I think when you push the Bible beyond what it should, that you get yourself in trouble. Galileo, great insight, said, What we add to the existence of God by trying to understand through the scriptures can be pushed too far. And he goes on and says that when we make the Scripture say something that they were never intended, then it steals from us the divinity of God himself and the inspiration of Scripture, unquote. What he's saying is, when he came up with his telescope and the heliocentric view of the universe, he's saying, the Bible's not a science book. When you read Genesis, sheet in the Hebrew, God is not giving you a science lesson. Though it's interesting how much the best science today would agree with the developmental process that it did. When you're trying to get into the mechanics of it, like if right now somebody was talking about what happened this morning here in this worship service, they'd say, they might try to explain to you, well, there were sound waves going and beating against your eardrum, and it was stimulating things, as why, but not very much as why half of you were sleeping. Or they might say, no, it's because Kevin in the sound booth electronically was taking this voice and amplifying it through digital coming to you. Or you might say, no, Mark was trying to say something. Well, when science goes and investigates the world, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of history. But the moment they make the conclusion, therefore there's no God, first of all, that's not only good, not good science, it's certainly not good philosophy, epistemology, or theology. And so as we come into this time, we realize that God is calling up for people. Nietzsche, like I said, he's, if you want to be depressed, read Nietzsche. He just. Because it's science is a lie, religious people are nuts. Sartre, who will be one of his French disciples, not intentionally, will say the only sane thing you can do is decide how and when to kill yourself. And many of their disciples did. I love, Nietzsche's the one that came up with God is dead, one of my favorite bumper stickers that said, Nietzsche, quote, God is dead. God, quote, Nietzsche's dead, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) But what the church responding in the 20th century was also the explosion of the church. More people gave their life to Christ in the 20th century than the previous 500 years combined. God is exploding. And right now, and you come back next Sunday because I'll tell you what will happen at the end of the 20th, 1st century. But what is, I won't really, but it's it's God, some of you. uh, (laughs) In the 20th century, God raised up great theologians. Karl Barth, who stood against Nazi German, Bultmann, and neo-orthodoxy, and saying, what's the real kernel? get away the husk? And Bultmann goes a little crazy. Tiliki, Hans Kuhn, the great Catholic theologian. Fundamentalism as well as evangelicalism will come out of saying, it's not just cold, dead orthodoxy, it's a personal relationship. In the 1950s, it was the beginning, in the 1960s as well, of something called, in missions, the indigenous unit. And what we discovered is, though missionaries need to go overseas, The Chinese reach Chinese better than Anglos. And African Americans reach African Americans better than Hispanics. And women reach women better than men. The idea is like reaching like. You're not supposed to drop out of your jobs and become a pastor. Unless God wants you to do that because he's mad at you. But whatever God (laughs) calls you to do. You're not supposed to leave and go into the clergy. Though we're certainly needed. But you're supposed to reach where you are. And this was a new thing in missions. In the 1960s and early 1970s, something called the Jesus Freak, and this is when I gave my life to Christ in the 1970s, the charismatic renewal about the Holy Spirit coming upon Catholics and mainline Protestants. We actually became Trinitarian for a while, you know, believing in the Holy Spirit and and his role. In the 1970s, there was something called the Therapy Revolution. I remember I was going to Fuller Seminary, could a Christian do counseling, or was that for the Holy Spirit's role? And we decided, yeah, in fact, the therapy revolution had such an impact on the church as you sit here. Try to find a sermon with the word comfortable before 1970 in it. You can't, because that's borrowed from the therapy world. Our small groups, you know what that's from? T-groups, therapy groups of getting together. There weren't small groups before. Remember, there were Christian Sunday schools that really became functioning, kind of like our growing families or open words before this. In the 1980s, the management revolution And now the Japanese business model and how to reach people gave birth to the stepchild of church growth. Because all of a sudden there's seeker sensitive, there's finding out different groups that you're marketing towards and borrowed from that. And you see all these moves going through the church, but the most important thing is when it comes to the place of where we are at today, as the church exploded, in these trying times, and these are tough times, I believe because of this table up here that you are lost without Jesus Christ. Do you know why I believe that? Because of this baby. I believe that the word is true. I've staked my life on it, and you have too. I believe that God has called us to go love people and share with our money and help others in tough times and good times in the Stanford. Why? Because of this. And it's something that you can trust. It's not something that it fell out of heaven. We don't believe that a book came down that Abraham went, whoa, what's this? Uh, The God-inspiring real people, 66 books, it's almost a library together. It's the most attacked book in the history of the world, and yet it stands. You have to read it like an adult, and yet children get the message first. Jesus said, unless you become as a child. Soren Kierkegaard, great Theologian of this last century said, the opposite of sin is not virtue, it's faith. It's not doing the right things, it's trusting that God has done them for you. And rather than us trying to make our own lives better when we get ready to come to this table, Calvin said Christ is in the presence of the sacraments as much as in the proclamation of the word of God. That as Jesus is speaking to you as you come to this, it's not up to you to do it on your own. Christ has done it for you. You just need to let him live his life through you. Karl Barth, the monster mind of church dogmatics coming out of Germany, this huge volume, who stood against one of our confessions, by the way, the Barman Declaration, one of our confessions of the Presbyterian Church USA that they helped write. When does a church ever stand against the government? And he said when the government is standing against God. And some of them Many of them were executed by Hitler and by the SS troops for this statement. And this great and brilliant mind is an older man. One of the last times he ever spoke before a conference, before his death, someone asked him, a seminary student, and this is so seminary student, he said, could you kind of explain all of your theology? Who asked somebody that? And Karl Barth said, Jesus loves me, this I know. Because the Bible tells me so. This is the truth. You will never know until you go into those arms. This infinitely beautiful God. Don't be afraid of science learning so much. If there are 300 billion galaxies in the known universe, now the idea is a multiverse. There are several of them. And if there's 100 billion stars in each galaxy, God is a great God. And if he's the one who could come alongside and to care. In an age of conflict, is the world nuts. There's the shalom, the peace of Christ. In an age of cynicism and despair, there is the hope. Christ is alive and he's returning in an age of death, there is the promise. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me and dies will live again. And whoever lives and believes in me will never really die. This is not good advice. This is good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have had us by your sovereign and providential will be born at this time of world history into this place. And God, we stand and we kneel before you and all the saints that are gathered in your glory, God, a number which is uncountable that you have saved. And Lord, as it is our turn now, we come to you and we stand on the truth of your word. And I pray now, Lord, that you would come as we have opened your written word and heard your proclaimed word and now as we celebrate the enacted word, above all to love you, Jesus, the living word of the Father who loves us so much. Come now Lord and set aside these elements from a common to a holy use and seal your people to your heart. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray.